Need an extra hand with dinner? Just ask your connected home device to fill your pasta pot, and Delta Faucet Voice IQ technology will fill it with the perfect amount of water. Visit deltafaucet.com slash voice IQ to discover more. Robert Mueller's witch hunt has stupidly become a threat to national security. Not a fake threat like Trump misspeaking at a news conference, but a real threat like starting a war. While the Republicans work to make America great again, the Democrats are working to make America Mexico. Last night, they refused to vote to support the Immigration and Customs Enforcement Agency. With these stories and more from a nationalist perspective, I'm Jim Dawes, and this is America First Radio's Daily Brief. And thank you for joining America First Radio. This conversation never ends. You can follow us on Twitter at AmFirstRadio and friend us on Facebook at America First Radio with Jim Dawes. And you can share it with your friends, weigh in on the conversation, and get early notifications as soon as these shows are posted. America First Radio is broadcast each weeknight at 11 p.m. Eastern Time on the new Mojo 5.0 station on Dash Radio and on the Talk America Radio Network, the new dominant force in conservative talk radio. But if you miss a broadcast, you can always listen on demand at your favorite podcast directory or at our website at AmericaFirstRadio.com where you can catch up on all of our archives. You know, sometimes... When you uh, sort of step back and look at the uh, lunacy that goes on in American politics, you really wonder how we have uh, gotten in such a terrible place and how long this nation can survive the rending of, um, of the nation into two almost equally divided camps. And all of this is because of the actions of the so-called ruling elite, these people largely from Ivy League schools that, uh, that come from, you know, the, uh, the upper echelon of our society, the so-called governing and economic elites. And you realize when you look at one thing after another that they screwed up that uh, either one of two things is true. Either they're purposely trying to sabotage this country or they are profoundly stupid people, breathtakingly stupid people. When you see them on TV, they can speak in whole sentences. Their prescriptions very rarely make any damn sense at all. But this group has literally made a hash of everything they've touched. Our nation is $20 trillion in debt. $20 trillion in debt. We've got 20 million illegal aliens roaming the countryside. Nobody knows who they are, what diseases they carry, what kind of criminal records they have. They're just here because of um, Republicans' thirst for cheap labor and Democrats' thirst for new voters. Millions, millions of good-paying middle-class jobs that families used to be able to raise kids on, provide an education, put food on the table and, a, and a, uh, a roof over their heads, sometimes buy a new car, retire in, in some dignity, good jobs have just been given away, shipped overseas so that they can 
make more profits for shareholders. Damn the nation. We've been running $500 billion trade deficits every year for almost two decades now. No, more than two decades. We've got porous borders. We've got unenforceable immigration laws. Just a joke, as the president likes to say. Somebody steps foot on American property. They give them a summons to show up in court a couple of years down the road. They never show up, and then they're just joining the 20 million other illegals. Endless wars with no discernible national interests for America. An education system, both really K through 12 and all the way through university now, that's, that just ruins children, only serves as a political indoctrination for multiculturalism and, and, um, and socialism. And it goes on and on and on. And the lesson is that these people are either evil, they don't have our national interests at heart, and they are perfect, they're purposely working to undermine our nation, or they are buffoons who can only pretend to know what the hell they're talking about. And the latest example of all of this is, um, is last week. We've talked a lot about... Uh, the fallout from from the president's um, news conference in Helsinki. Very little uh, coverage has been given to the actual substance of the the summit. And we we have here um, talked about um, strengthening our alliances with Russia so as to challenge the rise of China and working together against international terrorism and reducing the threat of nuclear war. But we really haven't dug deeply into what happened on the Friday before the Monday summit, and that was Robert Mueller and Rod Rosenstein in our own Department of Justice choosing this time of all times to trot out indictments over 12 Russian spies for spying. Okay, now we're going to press charges against foreign spies that we know will never be able to uh, be brought into court. And there were a couple of really, really good articles in um, The American Thinker, a, a fantastic opinion blog. If, you've, uh, if you're not familiar with it, you really owe it to yourself to go there and check it out. One was by Mar Mar uh, Monica Showalter, and the other was by Tom Lifson. Uh, the, the blog, I think, is run by Tom Lifson. And, um, and both of them say that the, the evidence is mounting that this, uh, this open-ended, nonstop witch hunt that, uh, that um, Robert Mueller is engaged in is becoming um, a, a certified national security problem at this point because of what happened on Friday. And there's, uh, there's really four points that demonstrate the extent of this problem. First, the law of two can play at that game. It's coming into play now because of Robert Mueller's actions on Friday, changing the nature of uh, diplomacy and, uh, and spycraft, and not for the better. Mueller's team indicted these 12 uh, FSB and GRU-linked Russians for hacking 
which maybe they did. I, um, I haven't seen the evidence of it yet. I'm willing to believe it if somebody would just show me the evidence. Apparently, Devin Nunes believes it. He has seen the evidence, and, and I tend to trust him and the other, uh, some of the other Republicans on that, uh, that in- House Intelligence Committee. But he's, uh, Mueller's trying to show that, um, that there, there's hacking out there and that they can be caught, got, brought to court. This was never done in the past. Cold warrior spies stayed in the shadows and played their spy versus spy games. They went about their business unknown to civilians, but now Mueller wants to deploy the criminal justice system and pretend that he can put these people in jail. Now, don't don't think for a second that any of this escapes the Russians. They can see what's going on, and that has prompted them right there in that news conference that we spoke of earlier. Vladimir Putin uh, started with a tit-for-tat retaliation. Russia's investigators are now calling for questioning of the former U.S. ambassador, Michael McFaul. McFaul uh, is all over Twitter. He is one of President Trump's loudest and most obnoxious critics. But that aside, what has started here is that um, they are now criminalizing what used to be um, spying on each other. Either everyone's officials are going to get indicted by, by the other side now, or nobody's officials will. And don't think that this kind of stuff won't spread to everything else. Who would ever want to be a, an American ambassador or a diplomat with the Department of Justice engaging in these kind of stunts? The two can play that game is the normal Russian response that Mueller should have been able to foresee, but apparently didn't care because he was so desperate to sabotage this summit and to justify his, uh, his endless witch hunt with his posse of, I think it's up to 16 Democrat partisans now. But here's to problem number two. Mueller has been exposed by investigative uh, reporter Paul Perry as someone who has exclusively pursued just one side of this whole Russian spying episode. And that is their activities against the Democrats. But the Russians themselves also spied on the Republicans. All of that was left entirely out of Mueller's um, indictment. And we're supposed to believe that somehow um, the Russians were trying to uh, harm Hillary Clinton so that Donald Trump can be uh, elected. Well, you know, in that that so-called intelligence assessment, we're running out of time in this segment, but in that so-called intelligence assessment, um, the CIA and the uh, FBI pointed it to RTTV as being a major source of this uh, this effort to disrupt the election. Well, if you ever watched RTTV for any period of time, you'd know that they were Bernie acolytes. They wanted Bernie Sanders to win the election. 
so maybe that's why they were going after the DNC, to expose the rigged primaries. Got to run out to a break. We'll take this up more when we get back right after these messages on America First Radio. talking about Mueller's indictments of these uh, these Russian spies based in Moscow for the FSB and the GRU and and uh, in, in trying to figure out what exactly Mueller must have been thinking. You recall uh, when Devin Nunes and the House Intelligence Committee issued their report on what they found. Um, by the time we got a hold of it, it was it was just page after page of redacted information blacked out so we couldn't see it. We were told by the intelligence community and the Department of Justice that revealing this information would endanger methods and sources. Well, if you heard Devin Nunes uh, after, uh, on Saturday after Mueller had I- issued his indictments, he said that all of the information contained in that indictment was almost taken uh, directly from the House Intelligence Committee's reports. It didn't include the information about uh, the Russian attempts to hack uh, the Republican servers, but all of the information about the Democrats was contained in the House Intelligence Report that the, that the intelligence community insisted be redacted before it could be released to the public. But now Mueller, desperate to throw a wrench into this upcoming summit and to, uh, to bedevil Donald Trump even more, Put all of that in there. So it, it, was, it was too much for us to see before, but now that it serves Robert Mueller and Rod Rosenstein's purposes, it's okay. We'll go ahead and put it in there. But when you read this stuff, you realize that Robert Mueller violated one of the cardinal rules of counterespionage that was learned through years and years of experience in the Cold War. And one of these rules is that you don't declare when you've detected a spy because a, a spy that you that knows he's detected is no longer uh, um, able to be used against himself. It's not necessary to arrest or indict or uh, imprison a spy once you've caught them. What you do as you try to feed them disinformation. And if you look at that indictment, it says it's just chock full of sources and methods. You can tell that they're sitting on the keyboard of these Russian spies. So all of that um, capability is now lost. If the real motive here was to protect the United States from hacking, the much more effective method would have been working to channel disinformation to these uh, to these uh, spies, keep them in the dark, and um, and don't 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 disclose your ability to uh, to track them. Mueller's indictment publicly disclosed the names of a dozen 
Russian spies engaged in computer espionage. Do you think that what that the GRU is not going to take any action now that they know that the recovery has been blown? Of course they they will. Mueller slammed the door to uh, to making use of all of that counterintelligence information. But politics comes first, right? Never mind national security. I've got uh, I've got a witch hunt to conduct. Thanks a lot. Problem four is, <laughs> and if this happens, it, it, it really will be something for the ages, <clears throat> but I wouldn't doubt it will happen. Mueller's actions may, in fact, trigger uh, uh, um, an unusual response from the Russians. They could, if they wanted to, do like they did in the, uh, the so-called uh, troll farm indictments. They could, they could choose one of these GRU officers and send them over here to answer the charges. <laughs> you know, they could, they could choose the, the most handsome example of Russian manhood with the best English. They could turn around and hire a, a, a very expensive and prestigious, well-connected American law firm and put him on a plane. The charges that are alleged here, if proven, only uh, only uh, result in a few years in jail. A comfortable federal prison in this case. Nothing that Russian uh, spies are um, not haven't done in the past. And in their tradition, one year in jail will be counted as five toward his pension, and he will return to his homeland. A national hero. To put him in prison, Mueller have to be will have to present his evidence to the court, and there lies the problem. Intentionally or unintentionally, Mueller revealed in this indictment information that only American intelligence services should know. Mueller made it clear that the counterintelligence in the United States had obtained access to the GRU computer network, all of that's closed off now, from which uh, all of this uh, information contained in the indictment and that uh, previous House Intelligence Committee report was contained. So lawyers for this uh, this smiling Russian spy uh, that comes to the United States to face these charges will be uh, entitled to discovery, all of the information about how they went about indicting these Russians. So now we give the Russians open access to American sources and methods, as well as, you know, our, um, our capabilities in exchange for putting one guy in jail for a few years tops. And this guy probably won't even serve that. The Russians probably just grab one of our um, diplomats over there, throw him in jail, and start talking about a trade. You know, when Mueller indicted the troll farms, he, he totally wasn't prepared that one of them, um, a corporation, Concord Management, showed up and answered the charges. When he did that, it was clear that Mueller's team was totally unprepared to try anybody on these charges. They, uh, they threw up a bunch of squid ink 
in discovery, a terabyte of documents, most of it uh, un, untranslated Russian. But this time, they would really hit Pater. They would hit a, a, a gold mine of information, oodles and oodles of American secrets in return for a short jail sentence for one, one spy. The return on the investment for the Russian intelligence agencies would be uh, priceless. So what I, what I go, go through all of this to say is Robert Mueller and this, this team of uh, partisan hacks that he's employed have totally lost their way. They are so determined to get Donald Trump and to insert themselves into the political process that they have endangered national security. I want to give you a clip here now. This is, uh, this is Rand Paul, who has really distinguished himself as, uh, as a, a real patriot, a, a deep thinker, somebody who can be counted on to, uh, to uh, analyze these things and arrive at uh, conclusions that are good for the nation. And here's what he has to say about uh, Robert Mueller's investigation. I agree, and I think a lot of it is is that the president sees the Mueller investigation. He sees all these accusations from partisan Democrats, Hillary Clinton, saying, oh, he colluded with the Russians. But then he also sees that the only people who actually we know colluded with the Russians were Hillary Clinton, who paid a British agent, who then paid Russians for information for this dossier. So he is, uh, feels like the intelligence community cooked up a political or partisan uh, investigation. But also part of the Mueller investigation is something that should be investigated, and that is who hacked into Hillary Clinton's emails. And so I think he, he sees he the, the part yeah. where he's accused of collusion, and he responds to that, and it taints the whole investigation, whereas there is part of the Mueller investigation that is actually legitimate, and then there's part of it that is just simply a partisan attack on uh, the president. A lot of nuance, and you clarified it well. You're going to talk to me. You know, I said it yesterday, and I'm going to say it again. If they wanted these 30,000 emails, they could find them tomorrow. They're sitting in server farms out in the Utah desert, but nobody wants to go there. We'll be back right after these messages. We're going to talk about the upcoming uh, battle between the United States and China right after these messages. So we're talking about this foolishness of trying to criminalize uh, foreign spying and, and hacking into uh, American um, information uh, systems and how this will lead to, uh, inevitably lead to an escalation in this and, and how Rand Paul has been one of the very few voices in the wilderness that makes any sense at all. And he says that this is, this is silly because everybody engages in these, these activities. And what we need to concentrate on is protecting our, our um, information infrastructure, something that wasn't, wasn't done during the Obama administration. You, you recall the hacks of uh, the, the federal agency in charge of uh, personnel. He, they got the Chinese 
downloaded all of the personnel files for every federal worker. Can you imagine the opportunities for blackmail and, uh, and, and um, spying contained in those files? Here's what Rand Paul had to say about this. Just 48 hours ago, the U.S. government, the Trump administration... This is old Jake Tapper, who has been absolutely unhinged in all of this, interviewing Rand Paul. Just 48 hours ago, the U.S. government, the Trump administration, said the top Russian military intelligence officers orchestrated a massive uh, hack uh, to affect the U.S. election. How much do you want President Trump to try to hold Putin accountable for that? I think really we would, we mistake our response if we think it's about accountability from the Russians. They're another country. They're going to spy on us. They do spy on us. They're going to interfere in our elections. We also do the same. Uh, you know, that's something that, that you, you will not hear across the lips of these people uh, at the big three networks or the uh, cable news shows. They won't admit to the simple fact that this is something that the United States has a long and storied history, very effective at uh, inserting itself in the elections of other countries. And now they want to adopt this mantle. They want Trump to adopt this mantle of moral superiority and start wagging his fingers at other countries for doing the same thing and look like a buffoon doing it. Gov Levin at Carnegie Mellon studied this over about a 50-year period in the last century and found 81 times that the U.S. interfered in other countries' elections. So we all do it. What we need to do is make sure our electoral process is protected. And I think because this has gotten partisan and it's all about partisan politics, we've forgotten that really the most important thing is the integrity of our election. And there are things we can do and things that I've advocated, making sure it's decentralized all the way down to the precinct level, making sure we don't store all the data in one place, even for a state, and that there's a backup way that someone in the precinct can say 2,000 people signed in, this was the vote tally I sent to headquarters. There's a lot of ways we can back up our election. Advertising and things like that, it's tricky. Can we restrict the Russians? We might be able to in some ways, but I think in the bottom line, we've wanted the Russians to admit it. They're not going to admit it the same way we're not going to admit that we were involved in the Ukrainian elections or in the Russian elections. So all countries that can spy do, all countries that want to interfere in elections and have the ability to, they try. We weren't only involved in the Ukrainian elections. We actually uh, engineered a coup. We organized people to, um, to riot in the streets, riots that uh, cost many lives. I think it was over 100 lives uh, that were uh, uh, lost during that rioting and uh, enforced the duly elected president of Ukraine from power and installed, by the way, a fascist regime there in the Ukraine. But uh, Rand Paul, um, if, uh, if God willing, he could be our next president of the United States, either in, uh, what would it be, 2020 or 2024, depending on whether or not Donald Trump decides to run for re-election. It's hard to believe that somebody would, would uh, endure the kind of abuse that this president has and be able to continue to carry on. But uh, I don't think he'll be indicted. I think the American people will see through this. But this, this Trump derangement syndrome on the behalf of the left is really damaging the fabric of this country. I think we're going to have to defeat them. Um, but I'm, it's gonna, we can cross our fingers that Donald Trump's going to run for re-election. But 
Uh, in his absence, Rand Paul would be an excellent, excellent replacement. But, um, you know, while the, uh, while the Democrats and these leftists are uh, suddenly become, you know, uh, strident cold warriors and see Russian spies under everybody's bed and around every corner, what Donald Trump did uh, during this, uh, this last summit he recognized at the G7 that Moscow wasn't there, and it didn't. Uh, it wasn't lost on him that Putin, at the very time the G7 was meeting, Putin was over in Shanghai. At their uh, at uh, at the Chinese uh, economic uh, summit. And and I think uh, that is why he was so anxious to meet with Putin to tell them that you know despite all of this. Um, this uh, outrage about their um, their behavior, maybe real, maybe uh, ginned up in the 2016 election. Western civilizations got to rally together uh, against this common foe that is arising on the on the military and and, uh, and economic scene. And there are seriously good reasons for Washington and Moscow, for the United States and Russia. Uh, to stand together against um, the rise of China. Both nations have, have uh, real reasons to fear that this change in the international order will, will hurt us both. History shows us time and time again that a, a rising power that overturns an international system um, can can create so much chaos that uh, that people need to uh, ally themselves to oppose that. You know, there's been a huge shift since the fall of the Soviet Union about the reality of of our relationship. Russia, to be truthful, is no longer a geopolitical foe. To the extent that they pursue their own interests and um, push back against the United States and, uh, and NATO, um, you know, we, we, can, we can challenge them. But, but they're not stealing our intellectual property. They're not running up huge trade deficits with the United States. They're not um, encroaching on our uh, territory like Mexico. And China is bound and determined to surpass America and Russia and Europe as an economic and military superpower. And uh, if we don't stand together, we'll find ourselves dancing to the, uh, uh, to the tune that Russia plays. Um, Christopher Wray, the new FBI director, was out at the Aspen Security Conference uh, this week, and here's what he had to say about the rise of China. Let's, uh, there's been a lot of talk about Russia for obvious reasons, but I do want to talk about China. Um, do you, from your perspective and, and the things that you're looking at, do you see China as an adversary, and if so, on what levels? Well, I think China, uh, from a counterintelligence perspective, in many ways represents the broadest, most challenging, most significant threat we face as a country. Uh, and I say that because for them, it is a whole-of-state 
effort. It is economic espionage as well as traditional espionage. It is non-traditional collectors as well as traditional intelligence operatives. It's human sources as well as cyber means. It's, we have economic espionage investigations in every state, all 50 states that trace back to China. It covers everything from uh, corn seeds in Iowa to wind turbines in Massachusetts uh, and everything in between. Um, and so the volume of it, the pervasiveness of it, the significance of it uh, is something that I think this country cannot underestimate. Are they going after things, though, differently than, than for example, what you've been seeing with the Russians and our democratic process? They, it's a different, if it's a different kind of threat, obviously the Russia threat is a significant one that I think we need to deal with very aggressively indeed. But I, I think the China threat, uh, China is trying to position itself as the sole dominant superpower, the sole dominant economic power. They're trying to replace the United States in that role. Um, and so theirs is a long-term game that uh, is focused on, as I said, just about every industry, every quarter of society in many ways. It involves academia, it involves research and development. Um, it involves everything from agriculture to high tech. Um, and so theirs is a, as I said, a more pervasive, a broader uh, approach, but in many ways more of a long-term threat to the country. You, you clearly see it as a major threat, but do you have a sense that, that we don't, that not enough attention is paid to it in general? One of the, actually, one of the bright spots that I have observed in my first 10-plus months on the job is on this issue. In that, it's one of the few things I've seen that in a country where sometimes it feels like people can't even agree what day of the week it is, on this, I think people are starting to come together. I see it in the interagency. I see it up on the Hill when I'm talking to the intelligence committees uh, across the spectrum. Uh, so I think people are starting to wake up and kind of rub the, you know, the cobwebs or the, uh, the sleep out of their eyes. So I've talked about a lot on this show, uh, and it, it appears to be getting traction in Washington, that uh, China is becoming an existential threat to the United States, especially economically, but also militarily. It's no, no accident that they're trying to challenge the U.S. Navy in the South China Sea, those critical sea lanes for trade. But, uh, but Russia has a lot to worry about as well. Uh, this, uh, this One Belt, One Road initiative that China's putting together uh, is is largely targeted right at the old sections of the Soviet Union in Central Asia. You combine the massive energy deals that they've made uh, with the former Soviet republics. Well, we're running out of time. Uh, we're running out of time in this segment. We'll talk more about this when we come back. Right after these messages on America First Radio, I want you to hear from Steve Bannon. talking about the real threat to American national security, not Russia, not, um, you know, the situation between uh, Russia and the Crimea or, or um, in the Middle East and Syria. We're talking about China. 
And Steve Bannon, uh, the former senior advisor uh, for Trump before he stupidly uh, spoke with uh, that Michael Wolf and made a fool out of himself uh, with, uh, with several quotes in that book, uh, but he, he, he's still uh, a deep thinker on these issues. He sat down uh, with CNBC, not MSNBC, but CNBC, the, the punitive business network uh, of NBC, did a long-form interview with them. And if you, uh, if you get a chance, you really need to check it out because um, it puts a lot of these things in perspective. But um, I'm trying to figure out which clip to play you here. This, uh, this is Steve Bannon talking about the, uh, the trade war with, uh, with China and all of its implications. We're not at this thing of a trade war. They've been in a trade war with us for I've, I've 25 that, or 30 years. Here, yeah. We're at war with China. Ray Dalio he, he tweeted it the other day. We're at war with China. There's three, there's three types of war. The Chinese look at it. Information war, economic war, and guns up. Kinetic war. They're at, been at economic war with us for 25 years. The no great power in world history has ever looked the way of their greatest threat and at the same time dissipated its energy on something. We spent $7 trillion, Brown University, the Watson Center, shown we spent $7 trillion in 17 years on this war in terror and the war in the Middle East, right, with very bad outcomes. And we've allowed the rise of China. In fact, many people in this room, the elites of our country, have exacerbated the rise of China. And we were told time and time again until Donald Trump got here that it was the inexorable rise of China. It was the second law of thermodynamics. This was a law of physics in the natural world. In fact, the whole Thucydides uh, trap concept that Kissinger these guys came up with is based on the rising power and declining power. We're the declining power. That's the same theory they had before Ronald Reagan got here in the 1970s, that Russia and the Soviet Union was on the rise and we were on decline. That was what detente was about. That was what all the arms agreements were about. Ronald Reagan changed that and said, we can defeat these guys. We can bring this down. It was supposed to be 40 years. It happened in eight or 10 years. Same thing with Donald Trump. And he's mocked and ridiculed of not being some foreign policy expert. He's got enough understanding of the world and the way the world works to go after this. And quite frankly, we're winning. They talk about the Chinese haven't come back to us with a, uh, with a response in the trade thing. For the first time in the last 25 years, they don't know what to do. They're seeing an opponent that's standing up for themselves. It's not just the trade. The trade is it's the scale and depth of the trade. And the way Trump proposes, he says, it's 50, it's 200. It's supposed to be 100, it's 200, and it's another 200 if you retaliate. And by the way, if you even retaliate again, it may be another 500. You know, he's talking about right now a half a trillion dollars. That's just one. The 301s is what Silicon Valley came to us about. It's not the technology theft. It's the, it's the forced technology transfers. The third part's the ZTE, where we, could, we can basically implode these companies. Now, right now, we're converging on a point, and yeah. they understand this. We could take the whole thing down. I, we could take the whole thing's built on a house of sand. What if they sell our treasuries? What if they devalue their, curr their currency? They, they, they devalue their currency. They're just going to flood more dollars out. They got $3 trillion dollars of reserves, and trust me, in, in the New York second, that thing would flood out of the country in a second. That's what, people, that's what their own people think about their economy. We've allowed these guys to push us around. We've allowed these guys to take the South China Sea. When I was 22 years old as an ensign JG in the Navy, it's central to, of the South China Sea to be free and open navigation. 
the Bush administration and the Obama administration looked the other day when they militarized it. It's Donald Trump. By the way, I think right how now. How does it I, end? So how it ends is right? in victory. How it ends is in victory. Donald Trump is not going to back off this. Victory is when they give us full access to their, their markets. Victory is when they stop. Remember, the warlordism in, the, in, in China right now, and she is under, I think, tremendous pressure, is the state-owned industries. Remember, China, made in China 2025, they told us it was to leapfrog us and to converge on advanced chip design, robotics, and artificial intelligence to converge eventually with genetics, to converge on advanced manufacturing. What the reality is we saw in GTE was to get off the West supply chain for components. I think the number one thing you're going to see out of the trade war is the reorientation uh, of the complete supply chain of Japan, Western Europe, in the United States, and Southeast Asia, that 800 million people, even before you get to India, okay, around the freedom-loving countries. I think the regime in China is in deep trouble. They are in deep trouble if they don't uh, reform their ways and become a, a, a reasonable player uh, in the international trade system. And we've got a president, despite the establishment that's trying to stop him at every turn, uh, trying to, uh, to look out for America's interest in this matter as well. You really owe it to yourself to go listen to this, uh, this whole interview on CNBC of uh, Steve Bannon. You know, uh, one of the major themes that has arisen uh, for the upcoming 2018 midterm elections and the, uh, the presidential elections in 2020 is the Democrats have picked up this theme to abolish ICE. Uh, of several of their uh, prospective candidates have mouthed these, uh, these lunatic uh, plans. Um, Gillibrand from New York, um, Kamala Harris from California, old Joe Biden is, uh, is playing around the edges of that. And, uh, and it just shows you how, how much influence and sway the far left, uh, the, the Antifa crowd, the, the Democrat socialists have, uh, have gained in the party. Well, last night, uh, the Republicans um, pushed them on this issue, and they held a vote, a non-binding resolution, uh, expressing support for the brave men and women of ICE that, uh, that work to keep us safe. Um, the, the, the Democrats were, were incredulous over this. They, uh, they just protested and denounced the resolution. It ultimately passed by uh, 226 votes, but um, 167 Democrats either voted no or voted to abstain so that they wouldn't get uh, in trouble with their, um, with their voters back home. 18 Democrats voted for the pro-enforcement uh, resolution, 34 voted against it, and 133 Democrat cowards voted to abstain. And so, really, you know, if you vote to abstain, it just proves to me that you don't support ICE, that you just don't want to be on the record because you know that that doesn't play well in the heartland. And this, uh, this, this current it girl for the Democrats... Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, she, she's, uh, I, I just love the fact that she's become uh, sort of the standard bearer of the far-left party because she literally just barely has walking around sense. She cannot articulate a thought, and when you really push her 
it turns out that her what thoughts she does have are so far radical that you just you can't even believe that the Democrats are going to run this person for the Congress. And and she defeated um, uh, the, the number four Democrat in the House. They say it's because of her ideas. It's not because of her ideas. It's because of her last name, Cortez. She was running against a, an old Irish New York machine politician, Democrat politician, in a heavily Hispanic area with a very, very low turnout. And Crowley took her for granted. Here she is, Miss Cortez, on this whole issue involving ICE. You have called for a number of things, one of them being to abolish ICE. And you recently traveled to the border to Tornillo, Texas, to see the shelters, to see where some of these separated families are being held. What would you replace ICE with? And do we not need protection at the border? Well, we absolutely absolutely do need to make sure that our borders are secure, to make sure that people are safe in passage. Did you notice what she just said? We need to make sure our borders are secure and that make, make sure people are safe in passage. So apparently, the only reason she would put uh, American law enforcement on the border is to help the, uh, the illegal immigrants cross the Rio Grande. Keep them from bumping their heads uh, while they were, um, you know, uh, ducking under the existing pathetic uh, fence. What we need to realize and remember is that ICE was established in 2003, right at the same time as the Patriot Act, the AUMF, the Iraq War. And we look back at a lot of that time and legislation as a, as a mistake now. And I think that ICE is right there as a part of it. It has um, extra, it's extra judicial. That's, uh, that's one of their bogus talking points uh, that they like to talk about, that it was just established a few years ago after 9-11. It, they just changed the name and reorganized uh, under Homeland Security. Oh, I wish we had more time, but i got to play you this. This is a, um, a compilation of some of uh, Ms. Cortez's more thoughtful statements. Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, if you could talk about how you think you achieved this victory? Well, I think, I think, I do think, and I think, I do think, and I think, but I think that, um, I think. We're out of time. I wish I could play that clip for you. We'll play it tomorrow. Join us back here again tomorrow for another edition of America First Radio. I've been working at Santa's workshop for a long time and thought I'd seen it all. That was until I learned that when you add Xfinity Mobile to Xfinity Internet, you can save hundreds on your wireless bill. Go online or call 1-800-XFINITY today. Restrictions apply. Xfinity Internet required for mobile. This episode is sponsored by Schwann's.com. What are you having for dinner tonight? Hmm, good question. Schwann's Home Delivery has a solution for you. Stock up your freezer with high-quality frozen foods like premium meats and sides, delicious ready-made meals, ice cream, and more. No subscriptions, no memberships, just a friendly yellow truck that's been delivering food for almost 70 years. Listeners of this show get a special deal. Get 20% off your first order with code YUM20. Check out schwanns.com backslash yum for details.